Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. I'm Eli. And we are back for another week of Orioles baseball that went a lot better than we expected it to. The Orioles did not get destroyed by the Oakland Athletics and the New York Yankees. Thoughts? Well, uh, I'm happy. Uh, but is is this not what you predicted last week, well, Tyler? Well, didn't I say they were going to go four and three, and you said three and four, and then Eli said one and six, I think? I think I said two and five, because I think I said they'd split with the Yankees and get A's. Okay. I thought you had said they'd win one against the A's and two Yankees, which is what happened. That sounds right, and I'll and I'll I'll say that is what happened. I don't know so, that for sure, yeah, but right. yes. So you'll like, take credit yes, for I it. I was definitely right. Yep. <laughs> I know these Orioles. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I stand. Listeners by, can go back and look to see if that's actually true. I stand by my prediction, though. I think that it was the correct assumption, given how hot the A's were. Um, and the Orioles' history against the Yankees, and that's about it. I stand by it. I mean, it's fair. It's defensible. It just, you know, these are these are different Orioles, Eli. You don't understand that this this is on this team's on a different level this year. Um, but yeah, the Orioles were pretty solid this last week, so we're gonna get into that. Talk about the pitching, good and the bad. Uh, We lost a pitcher this week. We saw a couple pitchers debut. Our shortstop got hurt. And the first mock draft of the year is out. Guys, anything to talk about before we get into it? Take it away. Yeah, All right. let's go. Cool. So on the pitching train, we had some good performances, some not so good performances. John Means was electric once again. Uh, Matt Harvey looked really, really good, Put in his turned in his best performance as an Oriole. Dean Kramer did not look so good, one of his worst performances as an Oriole. And then Jorge Lopez had a very Jorge Lopez-esque start where he looked quite good the first three or four innings and then got roughed up uh, towards the end uh, today, which we should say we're recording this on Thursday, April 29th. The Orioles uh, just wrapped up their four game series earlier today. So we actually have all the information to talk about tonight. So, you know, I don't know which way, which direction we want to go with all of this. We kind of just want to do like a temperature check on the pitching throughout the season. Cause it's sort of like the big portion of the team that will dictate success or misery. So, you know, I don't know, Eli, who, what kind of takeaways are you, are you seeing from uh, from the Orioles pitching staff uh, lately? Yeah, I, I think my biggest thing is Jorge Lopez. Uh, I, I think he's, I mean, Kramer's kind of like this, but Kramer's like this because he's still a prospect. Jorge Lopez is like this because he's Jorge Lopez. And <laughs> what I mean by like this is they really, both of them have electric stuff and they just live or die by how well that stuff is being located. It, it gets amplified when you see Jorge Lopez go dominate the Texas Rangers and then really struggle against a team like the Oakland athletics, you know, who are obviously a much more proficient lineup when the Oakland athletics see some wild pitching, it enables them to cue in on a fastball. Even if it is at 97 miles an hour, it enables them to cue in on that and enables them to cue in on a hanging breaking ball. The Texas Rangers can't do that quite so much. And so, you know, they'll flounder because his stuff really does look good this year. Um, and just seeing the inconsistency there, his inability to get through, uh, you know, a second or third time through the lineup, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch at the back end of this Orioles rotation. Yeah, and, and we were talking before how Lopez might still have a future with the Orioles. It just might not be in the rotation long term. Um, but Jess, what are you seeing from the, uh, the starting pitching that's got you either encouraged or discouraged? I mean, it's a mix of both. There's some, obviously, it's going to be a little balanced. As far as Lopez goes, he definitely has great stuff. 
One of the concerns a lot of times, though, is even when he's pitching well, he has a lot of guys on base <laughs> around the base paths, <laughs> which is really not a comfortable feeling. Um, and big reason why uh, he has problems going late into the, the games, not just because his pitch count gets up, but also there's a lot of stress involved when he's pitching, when he loses his command, when he loses guys, when he's up one and two in the count, etc. And that's just not an ideal way for a starting pitcher to pitch. Yeah. And the, the thing about Lopez too, is just, you know, the second and third time around the order, it just gets very, very dicey uh, as far as him. And, you know, he hasn't been able to really show much durability or much length going deep into the game. That's been a big problem. Eli was saying he does have really good stuff. And there have been a lot of pitchers historically that have not worked out despite having really good stuff. But he just has to be able to find a way to hone this. And maybe, uh, as Tyler was suggesting, a different role in the bullpen might be more suitable for him. Maybe he'll feel more comfortable just attacking the strike zone coming out of the bullpen uh, when he knows that he's only going to face each hitter one time. So we'll see uh, as far as Lopez goes, but it, it definitely it definitely is concerning. And then like Eli said, when we face a good team, then the, the problems with his command is going to be heightened and amplified. It, it, it concern and it's the concern whether he's going to be able to stay in the rotation for a full season. He's an older pitcher, so there's less room for him to kind of grow and develop. If he was 22 with this kind of stuff, there might be more room for optimism. But uh, the fact that he's an older pitcher, it just kind of seems like this is who he is. As far as Kramer, I mean, we talked about him last week a bit. Yeah, he did not pitch well. It is kind of concerning, but, you know, he is going to get the Orioles are going to give him an opportunity. So he's going to have more outings and hopefully he can make some improvements. He's only pitched had what, maybe seven or eight major league starts uh, in his career. So it's not shocking that he's struggling. And as far as Harvey goes, no, Harvey was really good. What we're really going to need from him throughout the year is durability and the fact that he could go six shutout innings is is encouraging. Um, it's just a question of how often he's going to give us that performance. But really, what we really need from him is durability, since as of now, he is more or less our number two starter. And we kind of are relying on him to be some sort of stabilizing force in the rotation. Yes, a lot, a lot of stuff there. Uh, going back to, to Lopez for a second. I get almost kind of like Daniel Cabrera vibes from him because he's got this big fastball. Eli, Eli, you're going to jump all over that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on it, that? It, it's just so funny because as Jesse was saying, you know, there have been plenty of guys I was going to like jump in. I was going to interject and say, does anybody remember Daniel Cabrera? Because it was just 98 wipeout slider and no idea what was happening. Just so you all know, I mean, this might be shocking. It might not be, but – as I was saying that, I was also picturing Daniel Cabrera <laughs> in my head. So, well, and the yeah. thing is, the thing is, I wouldn't have really had that comparison to Jorge Lopez and Daniel Cabrera prior to this season. I think Lopez's fastball has taken a jump forward this year. He's thrown it like 96, 97 regularly. I was just looking it up on Baseball Savant as we were talking here, and his average um, fastball velo, I think, is like ninety four point six miles per hour, which it, uh, is, is above average. And it's 
like half a mile per hour faster than it was last year. So I don't know if he did something, but he definitely looks more effective this year. And he looks really good that first time through the order. But then I pulled up his uh, baseball reference page, which has, uh, you know, his splits on there. His first time through the order, he's got a 705 OPS against. Second time through the order, it jumps to 942. And then the third time through, it jumps to 1092. And you don't want to have an OPS against with a one that starts with a one. So yeah, I mean, not, I, <laughs> not, not ideal. I do like Jorge Lopez. I like what he's shown. I just think he'd be more effective either as like an opener who, you know, is only going to go two innings, three innings, or as a multi-inning high leverage, possibly relief pitcher. So, you know, I'm excited about, about it, but I think he's only going to be a starter until somebody like a Lothar or a Ballman they believe is ready to actually take on a starter's role. Or if Keegan Aiken ever comes back. Right. Well, he cut his finger making breakfast. Oh, that's week. right. <laughs> so that's, we might've seen him this week. That's what I think. That's what I think happened. And why Wade LeBlanc started instead of Aiken was because Aiken probably was supposed to start and he cut his finger making, you know, eggs and grits or whatever. We'll never know for sure if that was the plan, but. Um... It's, it's really interesting that you picked two breakfast items that do not require a knife whatsoever. <laughs> In order, I mean, in this hypothetical story, I don't. Yeah, maybe he was making a lot of eggs and he had to divvy them up. I don't. I don't right, know. Right, right. Or he's just very confused on how to make breakfast. Or he was getting some butter for the grits. There he needed go. the knife for the butter. That's what it was. <laughs> That's there. You go. That's what I meant exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Means is great. Harvey, I think the thing about Harvey I'm intrigued about is. Yoros might be able to turn him into a, a trade piece later this year, which I was not anticipating. I thought he'll probably stick around the whole year and maybe serve in the rotation, but not really turn into anything of value. But I think he's positioning himself to be trade candidate, which is exciting. I mean, I, I, I still think we have a ways to go before yeah, yeah. we get to that point, but I hear you. I, just the thing is you don't have to be like that good of a starting pitcher to be of some value in a trade. Like if you can go five innings, you got a four and a half ERA, like, okay, those guys get 10, $11 million per year on the open market, you know? For sure. All right. Anything else to add about our current pitchers before we move on to a dearly departed pitcher? (laughs) So our favorite pitcher, as we all know, Wade LeBlanc, we were all just thrilled that he made the opening day roster and stuck around for nearly a month. Uh, But now he is gone. The Orioles allowed him to start one final game this past week. It did not go well. Shocker there. Uh, And then he was DFA'd the very next day. And uh, earlier today, he officially became a free agent again. Um, So, Jesse, are you how upset are you about Wade LeBlanc being gone? Probably negative upset. Um, Negative. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that all surprised. It's kind of weird. The Orioles even entertained this idea um so the fact that not even a month into the season their plan did not work is not shocking okay jess you know when jesse does not say very many words he does not care at all about the topic <laughs> it, 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 i mean it's not that i don't care it's i mean it's just yeah it's, there's nothing, nothing to say, to say. yeah I feel like i was right about it i feel like you know we never should have got into this deal you know, more or less to begin with. I mean, not that there was any huge course. The Orioles didn't lose much at all by going down this path, but it didn't work out. It is a weird move though, because we talked, Eli made a good point on this show a couple weeks ago about how, or about why the Orioles didn't keep Yalmer Sanchez. It was because it was to save a million dollars or whatever. Well, why did we 
why did they sign Wade LeBlanc to a major league deal right before the season started when this, we all kind of knew this was the likely outcome. We didn't know when it was going to happen, but Wade LeBlanc probably wasn't making it through the season with this team. So it does raise some questions there, but uh, Eli, any other thoughts on the, on the topic at hand? Yeah. I mean, you know, we already told him he wasn't cutting it and re-signed him once. I'm just wondering how long it is, you know, maybe three, four days until we (laughs) re-signed him again to a minor league deal this time. And yeah, I, I don't know. We all knew it was going to happen, and his last start going one and two-thirds <laughs> was exactly what we all knew Like Wade LeBlanc was as a pitcher. And I feel bad just, like, trashing the guy, but, you know, he had a pretty good run in the MLB. He was a solid left-handed pitcher. He's just not there anymore, and I'm excited to move on. Absolutely, and I think, like, the, the biggest impact it may have on the current Orioles are just that – it can let a guy like Tyler Wells or Max Scruller get into games because that's, they are, you know, they've got their issues, but they are better pitchers than Wade LeBlanc currently is. And I would rather watch them pitch than Wade LeBlanc. So yes, very excited. The Orioles also don't gain anything by having Wade LeBlanc pitch. They're just, I mean, more or less wasted innings. Now, sometimes we need innings to be wasted (laughs) uh, to make it through the season. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. Yeah, no, good point. Good point. All right. Um, somebody who has gotten a lot of slander uh, in Orioles social media in the season's first month is uh, their starting shortstop, Freddie Galvis. He has since come on pretty strong the last few weeks, hitting, getting a lot of extra base hits. Um, now he is on the shelf momentarily. He had a, a groin strain and is listed as day-to-day, has not played in a couple of days. Pat Valeka has been the Orioles shortstop in the time being, for the time being rather. My thought on this was that if the Orioles could have picked the worst person on the team to have get hurt, I think Galvis might be it because there's just so few options on the roster to play a legitimate shortstop that he is one of the most irreplaceable guys on the team. Not that he's the best player, but it's just tough to find a major league caliber shortstop on this roster. Eli, do you, do you agree with that take or what are your thoughts? I absolutely agree. Um, You know, you could obviously make the argument for John Means because he's the only person who's been able to give us six innings consistently. But, you know, you look around the diamond and typically if you need a shortstop, you pull from your other middle infielders. It's like, okay, our other middle infielders are Ramon Urias, who, you know, defense is a little shaky. And then Rio Ruiz, who couldn't really couldn't handle third base. He's been surprisingly okay at second absolutely no confidence as a shortstop and so we you know we pull up pat valeka and he is not a good shortstop and (laughs) he's an okay hitter and uh yeah it's it's gonna be shaky around the middle infield while he while he gets his groin in order wow never not a sentence i ever thought i'd hear you say gets his it was a little weird it felt it's like it had a bad taste coming out i didn't i had to tie it up somehow i like it that that one left a mark for sure. <laughs> but yeah, Pat Valeka, this is a guy that last year, I think we mentioned multiple times on the show, how much we hated watching him play defense. And now we're right back <laughs> in the same situation. So yeah, I don't know, Jesse, what do you think about Galvis being hurt and Valeka playing shortstop? I, I agree completely that he definitely is the most irreplaceable player that we have. Somebody could maybe make an argument that Severino uh, is, is the mm. most irreplaceable. Uh, just because his backup isn't isn't that great either. But yeah, I mean, we are without Galvis in the picture. 
uh, we are absolutely desperate at the shortstop position. There is no getting around that. We have, I mean, we don't have anybody that is competent over at shortstop. Yeah. So, um, no, it's it's a big problem. And the fact that, you know, shortstop is such a crucial defensive position and you definitely do not want guys rotating through that position. You want a shortstop that you can roughly rely on to put in 150, 140 games in the, in the year and, and just have them be steady right there. And Galvis, Galvis, if, if not much else, Galvis mm-hmm. was that Galvis aside from getting injured, he's a guy that we could rely on to play 150 games, play competent defense, hit a little bit. And that's, that's what the Orioles were looking for when we signed them. And, and that's what we were getting, but the Orioles had no backup plan. If something were to go wrong with Galvis over at shortstop. And this is going to be a big problem if, if his injury does develop into something more serious. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat a little bit to see what the Orioles would do at shortstop because they didn't put Galvis on the IL. He's still on the active roster. So it was, are they going to bring up Richie Martin? Are they going to just move Urias over there? Because that's where Urias played for the, the rest of the game that Galvis got taken out. I'm a little surprised they went with Pat Vileka because they didn't even trust Vileka to play second base over Ruiz or Urias, but they trust him to play shortstop. So I'm a little confused by the decision. I feel like Richie Martin, they were talking about in spring, how he still might make the team as a utility guy. So it, it concerns me that they are not seeing any development in Richie Martin whatsoever is, is what I'm led to believe by the fact that Vileka is now getting significant innings at, at shortstop. Are, are, do you guys have any differing opinions on that? I think that Martin, I mean, they've always talked about Martin as having a pretty MLB ready glove. And and so, you know, I'd anticipate that the Orioles are looking at this situation and deciding that Vileka's bat and the upgrade that you have over Richie Martin's bat is worth the, worth the penalty. Uh, you, you know, they know what Vileka can do at short. They know there are some shortcomings, no pun intended. Uh, and I think that he like, you know, he's a known quantity and the Orioles are accepting that. I think that Richie Martin would undoubtedly be a better defensive shortstop, but they want that production in the lineup. And I think that Vileka, as a pretty proven hitter, also, you know, the Orioles lineup is struggling in many ways. And so injecting that, somebody who's seen more MLB pitching than a Richie Martin has, um, hopefully could light some kind of spark. Okay, that's fair. Jesse, I mean, what do you think about Richie Martin? I don't think that it definitely means that there hasn't been any really i just think that reason really to rush martin so i think that's kind of the calculation the orioles are making we have someone who is going to be better offensively like eli was saying the the offense is not is not good right now so entering another void into the nine slot um somebody who's really not going to give almost any production offensively and submitting him there every day to be the everyday shortstop getting three or four at bats a game. That's, that's not ideal. So I think that's why they ended up going with Valeka. Yeah. They're accepting the penalty of the, the, the poor defense and saying that this is the best we can do right now. And um, yeah, I, I think they're just not rushing Martin. I think that's mainly what it is. 
Okay. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I, I that does make sense. Going the difference between utility player and everyday shortstop is, I think, probably bigger than I was thinking. Yeah. Okay, so talking about sort of prospects, uh, the Orioles did bring up two pitchers of relative interest this week. Uh, first was Zach Lothar, who is considered one of the Orioles, you know, top 10 or 15 prospects. Uh, left-handed pitcher came up and tossed one inning in relief. He was then demoted right away. Uh, Jay Flaw then came up and he again pitched one inning and then was, or I think an inning in two thirds and then was demoted right away. So, you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw enough of these two, probably not, but if you have any initial thoughts on them and then also sort of the handling of, you know, promote you and then send you right back down. Eli, what do you think about these two pitchers and sort of the handling of them uh, to, to begin their major league careers? I mean, I'm not so interested in flaw. Like <laughs> that, that's a blunt statement. And <laughs> I've been, I've been mean today. I don't know why I, I did it to LeBlanc and I'm doing it to flaw right now, but yeah, I, I mean, flaw, you know, isn't really factoring into the Orioles plans in the future. So handle him however you will. Um, get some innings out of them, get him a taste of the major leagues. I'm all for it. Lothar, it, you know, there's there's more consideration there. I think that in this instance, it was probably a situation where the Orioles were, you know, they were planning on DFAing LeBlanc. They said, okay, we'll have an extra roster spot. It was probably a bullpen day for Zach Lothar, you know, in between starts. And they said, you know what, let's bring him up. Let's give him an inning, get his feet wet, have him enjoy it. Uh, it was a perfect situation because we had the 8-1 lead when he came in. You know, it, it enables him to relax a little bit, have some cushion, go in there, throw some strikes, uh, get his first taste in the major league level, and he threw a scoreless inning. I thought I liked it. Obviously, throughout the year, if we continue sending him up and down and keeping him on – I mean, prospects develop when there's consistency for them, when they have a routine to, you know, develop themselves with. So I think that – I think that Lothar, um, as he progresses through the year, you won't see him bouncing up and down in a matter of two days, but I have no problem with it right now. Okay. I mean, it is different right now because they've got the alternate site and he's just right in Bowie. It's, you know, a drive to the stadium. And yeah, it does seem like it's more of a roster situation with Galvis taking up a spot without playing. They needed sort of some flexibility there. Uh, Jess, what are your thoughts? You were kind of unsure of this before we started recording. No, yeah. I, I mean, I guess my take on it is, yeah, I think that it it makes sense because you tell Lothar that uh, he's going to have this one pitching performance no matter what happens, whether he pitches well, whether he doesn't pitch well, he's going to go get sent back down, you know, so mm-hmm. he, he's not going to stay there permanently and that allows him to relax in that sense so uh and he's he's he doesn't fear he he has no fears when he's on the mound he could just go out there and do the best he can basically but ultimately yeah it's uh it's not a good situation when somebody is getting sent up and down the the goal for the Orioles needs to be that they are bringing these key prospects up on their own terms and up because they want to bring them up because they think they are ready to perform at this level. That should be the indicator for when one of our prospects comes up. And if it's not, that speaks poorly to the roster construction. And we don't have enough veteran guys that are capable of patching together enough innings in order to make things work. So ultimately, when Lothar comes up, yes, I want him to be up here for at least two months, right, before he gets uh, sent back down or demoted. If those two months go horribly wrong, 
fine. You know, we can send him back down. But, you know, I want him to get ample opportunity. And that that's kind of my standard with all of these guys. Kramer, the same situation. He's only had a few major league starts. If he were to get sent back down immediately, that would not make any sense to me. He has to be all of these guys have to be given the opportunity to be comfortable, to relax, to get the nerves out of their system and to establish, like Eli said, a routine where they're not operating on this irregular schedule of getting sent up and down between the minors and majors because they need them out of desperation. We need you to come pitch the start because we don't have anybody else. And after this start, you're getting sent back to Bowie. Right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like, it's a good point. They're not really going up and down. It's just sort of a, an as needed basis for this weird sort of first month of the season. It does seem like the Orioles don't want to bring any of those prospects up just yet. I think they want to get them as far as like in a starters role, they they're fine bringing guys up for, you know, spot appearances at the bullpen, but it seems like they want to get Lothar Ballman, those guys, some game action and stretch them out a little bit more. Cause it's one thing to be, throwing uh, side sessions and stuff down at Bowie in practice games. It's another to get in, in the box at the triple a level or get on the mound at the triple a level and actually get stretched out to five or six innings. So I think we will see Lothar back up. And I think once he is up, it will be for an extended period of time. I think he could take, you know, Lopez's spot, or if they trade him at Harvey, I think Lothar easily slots in and you see him get a multi-month audition. And then he's a guy that, I'm sure we'll be in the competition for the rotation um, starting next season as well. Good to see him up. Uh, excited to, I think the Orioles lead the league currently with the most players who have made their major league debut this season. I think eight different guys have made their major league debut this season. So it's kind of a cool thing. Also sort of indicative of where we are in the rebuild, but um, exciting nonetheless. Um, kind of staying on the prospect train. Um, MLB pipeline released their first mock draft of the year. Uh, the Orioles are selecting fifth overall. The draft this year takes place the same week as the uh, All-Star game, which is a little bit different. The Orioles in this draft, uh, mock draft, they have uh, taking shortstop Brady House. He's a high school shortstop. I think I'm free to say that not none of us really know too much about Brady House. We can read a scouting report and tell you what it says, but listener, you can just as easily go do that yourself. But we can sort of talk about what that type of player would mean to this organization and what it would signal for Mike Elias's sort of direction with the rebuild. So, you know, Eli, I feel like you of the three of us knows the most about sort of the amateur scene. So I'll go to you, but uh, you know, what are your thoughts sort of on what taking a high school shortstop uh, with the fifth overall pick kind of mean for the Orioles rebuild? Yeah. So uh, first I can give like the little mini rundown on house. He was pretty much uh, like the consensus top pick for this year's draft uh, a little bit of the ways through last year. Um, But, you know, he struggled a little bit and has come back this spring and has looked pretty good. Um, In the meantime, guys like Jordan Lawler, um, obviously the Vandy pitchers, Leiter and Rocker have been dominant. Um, So you've seen some names creeping up above him, but he's still establishing, you know, a a really, really pretty impressive resume. so I, you, you know, I think he's an exciting prospect. Obviously he's got some loud tools. Uh, they look at him to potentially move to third base in the future. They don't really consider him a, a future defensive shortstop, but that's fine. Uh, they say he can hit, he can flat out hit. Um, as to what it means to us, you know, if we do end up 
taking a high school shortstop. It, it, it's a little bit of a departure from what we have been doing. You know, the Orioles over the past four seasons have been hitting the college position player scene hard. Um, you know, we have been drafting right up the middle. We've been drafting catchers, center fielders, and shortstops. Uh, and typically college, because they're more developed, uh, it, it's, it's a safer bet as a whole. Um, I think that if we spend a first-round pick and at that a top-five pick on a high school player, um, that, that's indicative of the fact that we are pretty confident in what we have in the minor leagues right now. We're confident in our player development, in the pipeline that we're establishing, and we can start to take some chances a little bit, which would be a welcome sign for me. You know, Obviously, Elias and co. have a better idea of what's happening internally than any of us do. So if they have the confidence to go see that, you know, that tells me that the Jordan Westbergs of the world have been developing properly and they expect them to fill in for a couple of years um, until we get a really true top tier talent at shortstop. So uh, I'm excited for it. You you know, obviously this is not saying anything about who the Orioles will actually take. I always wanted Jaden Hill for the first couple weeks of this year pretty big right-handed arm out of LSU, but he's getting Tommy John surgery. So obviously the Orioles are not going to take him with the fifth pick and that just shows anything can change. Um, But either way, excited for it. Yeah. So going through this, this uh, mock draft and you listeners, we encourage you to go take a look yourself because you'll get a better uh, understanding just looking at it, but it's kind of a weak class. It looks like in terms of college bats, there's no college hitters taken in those first five picks. Then um, they do have the first college bat going sixth overall to the Diamondbacks, Henry Davis, a catcher out of Louisville. And then they've got kind of a run of college bats with uh, the Royals taking an outfielder from Boston college, uh, the angels taking an outfielder from San Houston state. So there is sort of a run there later in the first round, but you know, you're at the very top of the draft. You do want to hit on guys and, it's interesting to go with the high schooler. Those guys are typically seen as much more risky, but they also have that higher ceiling. You know, Manny Machado was a, was a high school shortstop when the Orioles took him. You know, these are the guys that tend to have that star power ultimately, whereas the college bats not always are a little bit more of role players, contributors versus that top tier talent. Again, not always that way. We, we expect Adley Rutschman will be a top tier talent, but that's typically how it goes. Jesse, sort of what's your take on if the Orioles kind of, deviate course and go from college hitters up the middle to sort of a a wild card with the high school player well what i would say about it is that uh for one uh it's it's good that in general it makes sense that the orioles have historically drafted so many shortstops um hopefully one of these times that we you know one of these shortstops can be our shortstop of the future um which right now in our system i you know, it's very debatable whether we have that player, uh, the long-term durable shortstop of the future that we're kind of all hoping for. Um, But the thing about shortstops is they are guys that are generally the most athletic people that can be moved all around the diamond. Um, Adam Jones was a uh, shortstop coming up early in his career. And a lot of people convert from shortstop to other positions. So it makes sense. It'd be nice if we could actually get our actual shortstop, though. Um, and the fact that 
uh, the Orioles keep drafting at this position, it kind of, it says something about their strategy and it says something now that, that they're going for uh, high school guys because it says they are looking hopefully for kind of a more top tier level prospect, somebody who has the higher ceiling moving forward. Um, and kind of like you were saying, Tyler, college prospects generally don't have as high ceilings just because they spend four years without the benefit of major league uh, systems helping coach them. Right. And obviously Mm -hmm. these college systems are very sophisticated and, you know, they definitely know what they're doing, but being in a minor league system, you are being exactly handled how the organization wants to handle you in order for your future growth and development to hopefully maybe one day make the major leagues. Whereas in college, you're being uh, utilized in the way that is going to help the college baseball team win immediately. Um, so they're kind of different interests at play when when you're when you go to college versus when you get drafted out of high school. So, yeah, the fact that the Orioles are looking for high schoolers, it definitely uh, is encouraging because it also kind of says, like Eli was saying, the Orioles feel like they're in a better position to take more risk at this point. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I would say about college players is it's sort of a two two sided thing, like a lot of times the guys that are really, really good are good enough to be picked out of high school in the top top first round anyway. And then they get to the big leagues really fast because they're just that good. I mean, Manny Machado was in the big leagues as a 19 year old. Fernando Tatis uh, is only 22. Like if he was a college player, he'd probably still be in like single A right now, just because he would have just been drafted. Um, you know, so, so there is definitely that, that part of it too. And sometimes guys just aren't ready to be drafted out of high school. I think, was it Andrew Vaughn who the White Sox took the same year as Rutschman didn't even get drafted out of high school. And then he became like a top five pick. So, you know, it, it's all different. And then, yeah, the, the draft is kind of weird in, in baseball because it's not like football where you're going right to the top level. You can't draft for need necessarily. Um, but yeah, shortstops are always a good route to go because even if they struggle at shortstop, they can move just about anywhere on the defensive spectrum. You know, Ryan Mountcastle was a shortstop. He's now, not even really a major league level fielder, but he's in the big leagues anyway, because he can hit a bunch. So we'll see. There are people that think Jordan Westberg has what it takes to be a big league shortstop. Adam Hall is a guy that not all uh, scouting resources love, but like Keith law really likes Adam Hall. And he, you know, he thinks he could stick around and be the shortstop. So draft a guy who cares what the position is um, as long as you think he can ultimately handle a role of some kind at the major league level. We'll see. I'm sure that'll shift a bunch. We've got a couple more months until the draft, but it's exciting to start reading it and and dream a little bit on who some future Orioles could be. All right. Uh, Unless you guys have anything else to add, we're going to move on to name that Oriole or guess that Oriole. I have, I have one quick little fun story. Do it. Uh, Earlier this week, Austin Hayes hit two bombs in a game and word on the street. And by the street, I mean, the Orioles radio broadcast is that before that happened, uh, he had a little talk with his pal Cedric Mullins, and Mullins just said, "Why don't you just take some time and just walk slower up to the plate? Just get yourself in the zone a little more." And he goes out there and hits two bombs. So, <laughs> adding to the list of things that Cedric Mullins is doing to propel the Orioles to greatness, he's coaching. He's just picking up a side gig <laughs> as a hitting coach, and I think that was worth noting. That it is interesting. Like Hayes and Mullins have two very different 
personalities and the way they approach their job. Like Mullins is very smooth and calm and cool and collected. And Hayes is like balls to the wall, hundred percent all the time. <laughs> so it's not a bad idea to take some, some wisdom from the guy who's one of the best players in the league at the moment. Hayes always sure. does seem like he's exerting maximum effort in everything he does. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. He does. So that's, that's good. Cedric, he, Mullins, Cedric Mullins is going to be the Orioles manager in 2050. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely good. Obviously, it's a compliment that he exerts maximum effort. It, it also kind of yeah. says something that he, you know, looks like he's exerting maximum effort, you know. But also Bryce Harper does that, too. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper looks like he's always trying as hard as he right. can, which is and Bryce Harper's fantastic. Swinging, so. swinging the bat as hard as he absolutely can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So one kind of one kind of interesting point on Tyler's Mullins manager comment. Doesn't it seem like weird to think of a manager that short? Earl Weaver, like, baby. Like, Earl Weaver was that's true. Shorter than and, him. and Buck was short too. But it, it like I'm thinking about it, and I'm picturing like in you know a 70 year old Cedric Mullins walking out to the mound, and he just seems so small in my head. What I think would be interesting is like I feel like you don't hear of former center fielders becoming managers. Right. It's usually catchers. Um, catchers. Well, well catchers. now you're making it real. Yeah, I know. Or pitchers, I feel like they sometimes kind of get into it. Well, Aaron Boone was what? A third baseman infielder. Third baseman, yep. So There's some rare exceptions, but yeah. But that, I mean, I, anyway. we'll see. He's got, <laughs> let's let him play a nice 10-year career in the big leagues first. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so let's do guess that Oriole. It is not Cedric Mullins. So last week we did this and then I completely dropped the ball and I forgot to ever post it on social media, but we'll, we did get one response anyway from a dedicated listener, Brady. Thank you. So the, the three things last week were um, signed a five-year $50 million contract with the angels was an all-star with the Texas Rangers in 2006, and then never hit 20 home runs in a single season, despite a 12 year career. And that was uh, Gary Matthews jr. So thank you, Brady, for correctly responding via Instagram DM which is a rare, you can do that. He slid in. Exactly. He slid in. Exactly. Our DMs are wide open. So this week we will remember to put it on social media, but here they are for you. Uh, the three facts about this former Oriole. Uh, I will go first, followed by Jesse and then Eli. Uh, this person was a left-handed middle relief pitcher with the Orioles from 2000 through 2004. In 2005, this left-handed pitcher was DFA designated for assignment by the Yankees. And uh, the New York Post reported that uh, he claimed that he was not one of, quote, Joe's boys, uh, referring to their manager, Joe Torrey. Last one is, this individual holds the major league record for most games pitched without recording a plate appearance. Now, should we explain that a little bit? People might be a little confused as to what that means, (laughs) but I think it's one of the coolest stats. How are people confused by yeah, it? What, that, what is confusing so about it? So basic. <laughs> well, it literally I mean, says pitch. Do our listeners definitely know what like a plate appearance is and what? Oh my god! Yeah, you Come don't on, give this. them enough credit. Okay, Come I'm on. just making sure. All right. If people listen to this podcast, they know what a plate Probably. appearance is. Yeah, it's literally okay. like it's yeah. You know what it is, people. But yeah, so okay. go on Twitter or Instagram, wherever. You can DM us. You can email us if you want. But we'll, we'll put a post on Twitter uh, of these three facts, and you can just reply to us, and then we'll shout you out on the show and tell you how much we love you. So there is that. 
Um, no silver lining this week because the O's went three and four, which is pretty good. We don't do silver linings when they're pretty good. Um, and <laughs> next pretty good week, as a relative term. We have high standard <laughs> ball club. Close, yeah. close to 500 yeah, is pretty good. Right. <laughs> this coming week, the Orioles go on their annual West Coast road trip, which we all love so much. Three against the Oakland Athletics and three against the Seattle Mariners. Uh, any predictions there on the record we're going to have on the West Coast? I don't think it's going to be good. I'll put it that way. Uh, you didn't think last week was going to be good either, though. That's true. I mean, I was one game off, to be fair. I, yeah, but I was um, right. I was exactly yeah, right. That, that's so. true. And when it's seven games, one game off isn't, like, that close, you know? Right. Um, okay. I, you know what? I'll say we go – Hmm. well, let's see. Me. These are I'll the top we, two teams in the in the AL West. They are very good. Okay, I'll say we'll go two and four. Okay, so two lose. Now, do you know how we're getting those two wins? Are they are we getting swept at all? No, I think we're gonna uh, go one and I, one and two I, in each. I, 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 I you know I'm very tempted to say one and five, but I don't want to say wow. that we're gonna be one and five. John Means know? is pitching twice. Right. Yes. Right. Right. That right. Is so the single that, biggest factor to me. That's what I was going to say is I think we're going to win one in each. And they're I both John Means' outings? Yeah. Wow, okay. They have, I mean, probably not. Probably one of them will be Means and then some, <laughs> like Harvey or somebody will, will Well, but see, the thing about it, the thing about it is Harvey's only outing in this stretch is going to be the second game against the A's. So if we're saying Means beats the A's, Harvey beating the A's, we're not taking two out of three from the A's. Right, right. I mean, yeah, they they do have the pitching matchups for the the A series. It's Means versus Fires, Harvey versus Lazardo, and Zimmerman versus Manaya. We we ain't winning the Zimmerman Manaya. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) match Lazardo and uh, Fires don't sound good either. Uh, I mean, Means versus Fires, I'll take every day. Fires, I think this is Fires' first start of the year. Oh, he started the year in the IL, so this will be Fire's first outing. So that I feel pretty good. We have about a good that. shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll say yeah. I'll say we win that, and then I say we, <laughs> we get one in Seattle. I'll say the Seattle one. It might not be the mean start, but okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll go three and three. I'll say we take two out of three from the Mariners. I think the Mariners are a little bit of smoke and mirrors so far. So I'll say three and three. Although they did really well against us. So that's far. you know we're grading on a curve at that point <laughs> i know i uh, i'm also going three and three the mariners uh just lost marco gonzalez to the 10-day il mm. um and i think uh his turn in the rotation is gonna match up against us so they might be having some bullpen troubles they might be you know whatever might be happening uh i think we get two john means wins i trust you know in means we trust so what, two and four? I got three and three. Oh, so I guess my thing that you're not accounting for is we're on the road. I could see it more if we were home. The Orioles are better on the road. This I year. know, but but West Coast, I don't know, the West Coast always. I mean, if we were like at Pittsburgh or something, like that would be fine. I mean, Pittsburgh is also bad, though, so it's not the best yeah. example. All the you know what I mean. They're okay. <laughs> if we were like, if well, we were like somewhere more local, you know, that would... You like to you like to dissect our picks as if we don't know what we're talking about. You yeah, say okay. I think there's something you guys haven't taken into consideration. And then, yeah, and right, then, right. And then yeah. you come and you take 
15 minutes deliberating on what your pick even is. All right. You don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you're on a delay. Your, your audio is all chopped up. People have probably stopped listening by now. Yeah. So, so <laughs> let, let's see. Jess, can you even remember what you picked? Yeah. Yeah. Two and four. Two and right. four. That is, that one is what one against Oakland, one against the Mariners. Come on now. That, that was a fruitless effort. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you listener at home, let us know what you think. You could you could follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email us what you think the Orioles are going to do this week uh, on the West Coast. We, we'd love to hear you. Um, if you don't want to do that, though, we do ask that you subscribe to us on all your different podcast platforms um, and also on Substack, thewarehousepod.substack.com. Um, yeah, I think that's everything for the show. Uh, Jesse, where do people follow you online? I'm going to try to do it in a different voice than I normally <laughs> do. I, I was about to fall into my trap. I could feel it coming, but um, people can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> And on Twitter, yeah, (laughs) I can't break it. Uh, uh, People can follow me uh, at Juggernaut eight six seven eight. Cool. And Eli, I'm gonna do my best Jesse voice. Hold on, give me a sec. Give me a sec. (laughs) People can follow me. (laughs) I'm done. You gotta. People can follow me on Instagram uh, at Ginzy five five and on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. There you go. And I'm underscore Ty Young on both of them and also at CamdenChat.com. All right, guys. Uh, well, I think that's it for the show. Good show. Uh, and we'll be back here next week, whether you all like it or not. So <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Go O's. Go O's.